Back in the early 15th century, uh, a Russian artist called Andrei Rublev uh, painted a picture that would become very important to the Orthodox Church. The picture is of three angels seated around a table. And the picture is inspired by the story in Genesis 18, where three angels appeared to Abraham and informed him that his wife Sarah was going to have a son. But the reason that this painting has become so important has very little to do with Abraham. Over the centuries, it's become seen as a helpful illustration of the Trinity. Now, I know that not everyone in church finds artwork helpful, uh, but I am going to show you this one because it doesn't depict God directly. It's just a symbol of what God might be like. Here it is. In this picture, you can clearly see three distinct people sharing a meal together. Yet look at the way they are painted. They're looking directly at one another, as if to show they're in constant communication. Their expressions are mutually responsive. We can imagine them speaking and then listening, asking questions, waiting for answers. There's a deep conversation going on here, a deep enjoyment of one another's presence. Notice how the arrangement of the three people around the table forms the shape of a circle. There's no head of the table here. None of the three people are higher or more important than any of the others. The circular shape suggests a deep unity between them. They are three, but also in a tangible way, one. But here is the real genius of the painting. At the same time as the three people are looking intently at one another, they are also looking out of the picture towards us, the viewers. And as we look, their gaze draws us in and down to the food on the table. Suddenly we notice that around this table, a space has been left. There's room for someone else to come and join the three. Indeed, it's no accident that the food has been placed right next to that opening. This then is a picture of invitation the three people so deep in love and communication with one another are inviting us to come and sit with them. We are to eat and to talk together. It's as if we're being welcomed into the family. As I said, this painting was originally supposed to show the three angels meeting Abraham in Genesis 18. But now the church sees this as a powerful depiction of God. For is this not what we just read together in Romans 8? By the Spirit we have been adopted as children of God. We can now cry out to God, Abba, Father. Through faith we've been made brothers and co-heirs of Christ Jesus. Our loving God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit has reached down and pulled us in to his family. This is the Trinity in action. Today we are focusing on the fact that Christians believe in the Trinity. We believe that God has revealed himself as three persons in one. 
The Godhead is a community so united they are but one person expressing himself in three distinct forms. Now a word of warning here, such an understanding of God is not explicit in scripture. You can peruse right through the pages of the Bible and you will never find the word Trinity. But for centuries since the birth of the early church, Christians have realized that this is the only way of making sense of what is there in God's word. Let me very quickly give us some examples. Let's start at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and the story of creation. After God had made the day and the night and the sky and the sea and all the animals, we read something fascinating in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Did you hear that? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Just to be clear, then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make mankind in our image, plural, in our likeness, again, plural. Now this is before the creation of the world, so who exactly is God speaking to? Who is the second person? Who constitutes the us? Before the creation of the world, God was on his own, right? And that verse makes us start to think and look a little bit more deeply. And slowly but surely, we start to see. In the creation story, we find the Spirit of God brooding over the waters. We find the Word of God bringing all of God's plans into life. And suddenly we see that in the very first chapter of the Bible, we find one God who is revealed in three different forms. The Father designs creation. The Word brings that design to be. The Spirit perfects it all. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we go on a bit further in the Bible and we come to the baptism of Jesus, a truly extraordinary event. We believe, as we thought last week, that Jesus is God. He is God on earth. The Word made flesh, as John Gospel told us. And when the human Jesus gets his feet into that murky water of the River Jordan, God got his feet wet. That's what we believe. But then what happens? Suddenly we find the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, filling Jesus with all the power and guidance he will need to live out his ministry on earth. And then booming from the heavens comes a voice. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God the Father speaking those words of affirmation that every child needs to hear from their father. So you can see the word Trinity might not appear in the story, but we very clearly have God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just in case we're in any doubt, let's look at one more. This one's important because it clearly shows us that these are not three separate gods, but one God in three persons. Just before Jesus ascended back to heaven at the end of his time on earth, 
He left some instructions for his followers. And this command was to lay out the mission of the church until the day that Jesus returns. And it's the mission that we at Isla Baptist Church are still striving to fulfill today. Jesus came to his disciples and he said this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? We are to baptize people into God's family using the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now there are many other scripture passages I could give you. We could be here all morning. But let me wrap it up in a nutshell. Christians believe that God is three persons. And each of those persons is fully God. Yet there is only one God. One in three, three in one. Three people who love each other so much and work together so perfectly, they can be referred to as one entity. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now don't worry if your head is spinning a little bit. The doctrine of the Trinity has always been seen as a bit difficult. Indeed, there will always be a sense of mystery about it. We will never fully understand this. And that's a good thing. Because it stops us taking God lightly. It also encourages us to keep exploring. Because there's always more to learn. And deeper riches to uncover. So if your head is spinning, don't worry. You're in good company. But just because this is hard to understand, doesn't mean that we can just ignore this doctrine or shrug it off. For what I want us to grasp today is just how important it is. The doctrine of the Trinity really matters. Not only is it the belief that marks Christianity out from all other religions in the world, it also has some very practical implications for our lives. And I'd like to show just a few aspects that show us just what a difference this makes to us and how it can inform how we might begin to behave as soon as we leave these doors this morning. First and foremost, the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God is love. Many of us have heard these words from John 1, 4, 1 John 4 before. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love love. We're all fairly comfortable with that. But when we think of that statement, we often think that it means that God is love because he acts in loving ways. That he is merely a product of his actions. And of course, God does act in loving ways, as shown supremely by him sending his son to die on the cross to forgive us our sins. But that is not all that this verse means. This verse says that God is love, because that is what he is. Love is what God's very being is made up of. And when you think of the Trinity, that makes sense. Because God is three people held together by bonds of the deepest love. 
God is love. He cannot be anything other than loving because love is his very essence. Through the Trinity, through Father, Son and Spirit, God has revealed himself as a social being. A few years ago, there was a report on the nature of God published by the church. And in it, it said this, God is a communion of love of unimpaired, unbroken relationships. His very being is fellowship. I really want us to try and get this, because it's important. From eternity, from before the beginning of time, from before God made anything, loving relationship was fundamental to who God is. God is love. He literally cannot be anything else. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that. Now, why is that important on a practical level? Well, it's important because the Bible teaches us that we as human beings are made in his image. And therefore, we are called to live lives of love. We are to maintain relationships marked by love and peace and unity and cooperation. The same love, peace, unity and cooperation that are at the heart of the Trinity the way Father treats Son and Son treats Father and Father treats Spirit and Spirit treats Father, we are to act in the same way. And when you think about it, marriage is modelled on the Trinity. The church is modelled on the Trinity. For in both those examples, you have separate and distinct people who love each other so much they can be referred to as one. It is the model of the Trinity. As human beings, we are to love one another because love comes from God. God is love, and we are made in his image. So this week, let's try and love others in intensely practical ways, because that is how the Trinity loves us. The second thing that the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us is that God is gracious. The Trinity removes any place for human ego or arrogance. Think about it. As the Trinity, God is totally self-sufficient. Between Father, Spirit and Son, God has everything he needs. And that keeps us in sharp perspective. The three persons of the Trinity existed before the creation of the universe. God did not need to create something in order to have something to love. He didn't need to create something in order to have someone to communicate with or someone to keep him company because the three people of the Trinity always loved and communicated and kept each other company before time itself began. God was perfectly content, perfectly fulfilled before he made a thing. And what this means then is that creation is an act of grace. It wasn't needed it was done as an unwarranted act of blessing and love. It was beautiful and extravagant. In making the world and in making human beings, God decided to lavish his love on something else. And again, this is really important. We need to get this right. God doesn't need us. He doesn't depend on us. Quite the reverse. We depend on him Instead, it's this indescribable wonder that God chose us and wanted us. 
Every breath of our lungs, every beat of our hearts is a gracious, extravagant gift from God. Our salvation from the cross, another extraordinary act of God's graciousness. He didn't need to do that. He chose to do it freely. In creation and redemption, God chose to extend his loving community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chose to invite us into their circle of love. And this is where that painting from Andrei Rublev becomes so helpful. The three people inviting the viewer to come and sit and eat with them. It's so profound. They were quite happy. They were quite content on their own. But they lovingly choose to make space for some more. They want their love to grow. This is grace. This is God giving us something that we could never possibly deserve. This is the Trinity. And what is the practical outworking of this? Well, surely it must be that we have to be gracious too. As a church, we are to be an open community that always waiting to welcome people in with open arms. I hope you experience welcome when you come to us. And in fact, more than that, if we're going to follow God's example, we have to go out of our way to look for new people to join in this circle of love. We might not feel like we need more people in our lives, but that's precisely the point. As the Trinity, God did not need us. Father, Son, and Spirit were perfectly content together, yet they still reached out to us. And we are to do the same. So the Trinity shows us that God is love and God is gracious. Thirdly, it shows us that God is able. God is able to meet the fundamental needs of human beings. Psychologists tell us that all human beings need three things to survive and thrive. Three things to live with good physical and mental health. And those three things are these. They need a point of reference... They need a role model, and they need a group of facilitators. That's very scientific language, isn't it? Let me explain. All human beings need a point of reference. In other words, we just cannot live well without knowing something of who we are, where we've come from, where we're going. We need a sense of the journey that we're on to live life well. All human beings need a role model. We need an example that we can follow as we go on the journey of life. We need to know what we're to do and to see it in front of us. And all human beings need a group of facilitators because no man is an island. No human being can make it through life on their own. We all need friends. We need counsellors. We need a group of helpers to guide us on our journey through life. And when we think about it, this psychology does make sense. We recognize it in our lives. And poor mental health begins to develop when we start lacking in one of those three areas. This week, I read the testimony of a secular humanist psychologist who came to faith when she discovered the doctrine of the Trinity for the first time. Because in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, she found what she believed from her work to be the thing that all human beings need. The Father is our point of reference. We are his children. The Son 
is our role model. In Jesus, we see clearly how to live our lives day by day. The Spirit is our facilitator, empowering and helping and accompanying us through all the challenges of life. The psychologist discovered a God who is beyond us, big enough for the needs of our mind. A God who is beside us, close enough for the longings of our heart. And a God whose being is within us, deep enough to form the core of our identity. And when she discovered that, she came to faith. Truly, it's because God is Trinity, three in one, one in three, that he's able to meet our deepest needs. Let's think upon him and take steps to follow him and ask him to fill us afresh this week. So as the Trinity, God is love, God is gracious, God is able. There's one final thing I want to say. As Father, Son and Holy Spirit, our God is a communicating God. Christians believe that the Trinity is a community of love constantly in communication with one another. And this is important because they work on every act together. And we see this in scripture. At his baptism, the Father spoke to his Son. In Gethsemane, the Son spoke to his Father. And on both these occasions, it was the Spirit that made that communication possible. Because how else do you get a message to go back and forth between heaven and earth? And the beauty of this truth is that God invites us to join the conversation. And that is precisely why Christians pray. And the Bible is really explicit on this, that prayer is a Trinitarian act. When we pray, we pray to the Father. What was it that Jesus said when he taught us how to pray? We are to begin our Father. We pray to the Father. But we pray through the Son. Ephesians 2.18 says this, Through Christ we have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's because Jesus died that we have access to God. There's no other way that our requests could get through without us being granted forgiveness first. And the Bible confirms this by stating that right now, this very moment, Jesus, complete with the scars of the cross, is sat by his Father's side interceding for us. As we pray in church, Jesus is passing those prayers on to his Father. So we pray to the Father through the Son. And we do it by the Holy Spirit. Have any of us struggled to know what to pray for? Of course we have. We all have. Have any of us felt so upset by what's going on in our lives that we feel like we just have no words left? We don't, we don't know what to say anymore. We're kind of stunned into silence. Of course, we've all been there. Well, in Romans 8, the Bible tells us that moment by moment, the Spirit is groaning within us, calling out to the Father on our behalf. The Spirit gives us the words to pray. The Spirit inspires our prayer. And when we have very little strength of our own, the Spirit steps in and takes over. The Spirit keeps us in constant communication with the Father and the Son. Now, all of that's a little bit rushed. We could spend a whole sermon just on that. 
But I hope I've said enough to show that every prayer that we have ever prayed depends on the three members of the Trinity working together. And what is the practical application of this? Well, surely this week we need to be people who pray, who have this amazing privilege of speaking to the Father. And surely we should take that up. We've said enough now. I hope we can see that the doctrine of the Trinity is not just a dry and dusty theory. It's not just the preserve of pedant academics. Far from it. The Trinity reveals to us the nature of our truly amazing God. And as we grasp it, they will never grasp it fully, so our lives begin to become ordered by it. As we think and as we learn and as we worship God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we are drawn in to his circle of love. We find ourselves invited to sit at his table in full communion with him. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Hallelujah for that.